Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. With major tech initiatives well underway at the Defense Health Agency, such as the Electronic Health Record Modernization and Military Treatment Facilities Transition, we caught up with CIO Pat Flanders to discuss his background in the technology space, plus his military service as a U.S. Army officer, HUA. Though flunking out of his initial medical focus in college, it brought him to where he is today leading the strategies for the agency's IT capabilities and initiatives, those he has developed a very close and personal understanding of, as you'll hear. Thank you to our sponsors, Dell Technologies and CDW Government. I'm Maheen Mirza, Sales Director of Federal Healthcare at Dell Technologies. IT leaders in the federal government are increasingly raising issues of infrastructure, legacy communication systems, automation needs, and more. And Dell is listening and taking action. As a technology partner of the Defense Health Agency, Dell has worked with CIO Pat Flanders and other DHA leadership to support their mission. We are excited to work with Mr. Flanders' leadership team as they not only deal with this pandemic, but also continue their work on military treatment facilities transition and electronic health record system updates and look forward to hearing from Mr. Flanders about the unique IT challenges of his agencies and DHA's infrastructure readiness for the pandemic and mass telework. Hey, Pat, thanks so much for joining us on GovCast. It's great to have you. Thanks. So what got you interested in IT to pursue that field to begin with in your career? My father was in the Navy. He was enlisted in the Navy. He was a uh, senior chief and uh, he started out in submarines and then went into cryptography. And uh, as a result of that, he ended up working at the National Security Agency. Wow. Yeah, it was one of our duty stations and down at Fort Meade. This was in the 70s. And so just, you know, that influence kind of got me interested into it. And then uh, he retired. We moved back up to upstate New York where he was from. And I had a math teacher in eighth grade who had a Burroughs teletype. And I don't know what mainframe it was connected to, but he kind of got us turned on to that. And I just got really interested in computers. My father being who he was in the early 80s, bought one of the first Apple computers. I think it was an Apple II Plus. And uh, I just got hooked. I was doing uh, America Online, you know, back in the days of 1,200 baud modems at my house. Oh my gosh, how <laughs> times have changed. <laughs> so what got you interested in joining the military? Well, you know, it was my father's influence and my mother was a registered nurse. And uh, from the time I was in elementary school, it was, uh, you want to go to West Point, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, spent a lot of time going down that road, got a congressional nomination to West Point and then promptly flunked the medical part. Oh, my goodness. And so uh, the consolation prize was a, an Army ROTC scholarship, which I took. I went to Clarkson University. They were, if they weren't the first, they were the second school in the nation to make everyone, every freshman buy a personal computer. It was a Zenith Z100. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it even sounds old school. <laughs> 8086 processor. It was great. <laughs> I can relate a lot to the military life. My dad also was in the Army, so I completely understand the whole going to West Point and that expectation, which I did not follow, but <laughs> I commend you otherwise. Was there any notable assignments during your military career or one that stands out? So it was 29 years, so it was a lot of them, and uh, now which... 
former boss am I going to make mad now? Because <laughs> they were all great. I guess um, the most high visibility and non-IT job I had, I was um, Frank Kendall, the Undersecretary for Acquisition Logistics and Technology. I was his senior military assistant in 2015. And so I really, I mean, I got to see how the Department of Defense operates at the highest levels, you know, with the Secretary of Defense and DepSecDef and how the OSD staff worked and interacted with the services. And so, yeah, that was notable. I mean, I guess it was terrifying, actually, because, you know, every day is the Super Bowl in one of those kinds of jobs. So uh, that was really special. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And then uh, on the IT front, I was the program manager for uh, the Army Enterprise Systems Management Program, ASIP. And uh, that ran the Army's Tactical Logistics SAP ERP, called the Global Combat Support System Army, as well as the Army Materiel Command SAP implementation called uh, the Logistics Modernization Program. And then a data hub that brokered all master data for logistics for the, the whole force to include the reserves and the National Guard. So altogether, there's probably about 200,000 users, and it's fully fielded today across the entire Army. And so that was a four years of learning a lot about really big enterprise software systems. Just a small portion of technology, right, in the Army. <laughs> I assume your experience in the military, of course, dealing with all these technology initiatives, has informed your current role now as CIO at DHA. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from day one in the Army, I've, I've always been in a customer support role, starting out supporting maintenance and supply for heavy divisions. And so, you know, key to that was the IT, you know, the systems we use to receive, store, issue, warehouse, do the maintenance, report on the maintenance, order supplies, food, water, fuel, you name it. And so as I progressed, I kept finding myself responsible for ever larger IT systems that ran logistics all the way up to those ERP systems. I also worked uh, and helped build some of the systems for the Army Personnel Command, so human resources. And uh, I helped uh, with some of the systems in the Army Budget Office that did all budget for the total Army. So I basically had had every kind of customer support logistics business system experience except medical. Which is fun. <laughs> yeah. And so um, when I worked for Mr. Kendall, there was a big initiative to adopt an electronic health record for the Department of Defense. And you can think of it as it's kind of an ERP, an enterprise resource planning system, but for medical, tailored for medical, and the way that we do medical business in uh, the United States, right, with the, you know, care codes and coding and compliance and all those kinds of things. And so uh, after I left Mr. Kendall, I went down and I was the deputy program executive officer for uh, the PEO that was implementing that electronic health record system. So I kind of started to uh, learn a little bit about medical. And what I found is it's really no different than the other logistics kinds of systems. So when I was doing maintenance, you know, we had oil analysis program. Well, in medical, you do blood, right? And when I was doing warehousing, we had nuclear weapons and safety of nuclear weapons and safety of flight. And, you know, in the medical world, you have patient safety. And so there was a lot of analogy and it felt very familiar to me. And then underpinning it all, of course, are the business aspects of it. So uh, it really uh, it was a natural fit, I think. You kind of fulfilled your medical, I guess, calling in some way. 
We had, and then I got run over by a truck. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. So I'm not only just a, you know, someone who appreciates the medical community from afar, I'm a very good customer. Wow. <laughs> You've had the experience of, I guess, the importance of the medical environment of the military pretty well. Right. And it happened my last six months on active duty when I was already knew I was going to take this job. And so as a result of that, you know, when I was in the hospital for all that time, um, you know, I was asking questions like, what electronic health record do you use? And can I see that screen? And wow. <laughs> I learned a lot about how the hospitals work, everything from the ICU to you know, how surgeries get scheduled and all that. I, I mean, uh, I really did. I, I learned a ton from that experience. Wouldn't ever want to do it again and don't recommend it, though. <laughs> I'm glad you got out of that alive. You were in the hospital for six months? No, I was in the hospital for about a month and a half. Okay. And then I was uh, trying to get healthy for the remainder. Wow. And I assume that's what prompted you to get out of the military? No, actually, I'd already had my retirement paperwork in, and I had already been accepted for uh, the job I have now. Wow. It just, I was on my way home from work one day, and I was sitting at a stoplight, and I was run over from behind by someone who wasn't paying attention. Oh, my goodness. And that's probably why technology is kind of a danger sometimes, <laughs> especially when you're behind the wheel, getting distracted. I'm told that my boss at the time, who's a surgeon, uh, the first question she asked when she heard about it is, uh, did he have a head wound? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which I did not. <laughs> well, that's good. Thinking back over the years and everything that you've been involved in, how have you seen IT and technology impacting the military most? Oh, wow. I mean, you know, when I first came in, um, you know, every year you do a performance report. You know, it's kind of like you write up what you think you did well. It's your report card. And uh, the first three of those I did on an IBM Selectric typewriter. And so we've come from that to now where everything is automated. I mean, I can remember in Desert Storm, you know, there was no GPS, not at the level I was at anyway. It was uh, one to two fifty thousand resolution maps. And, um, you know, now just everything is automated. The supply chain is totally automated. It's real time with ERP systems to enable that in a tactical space. You know, there's satellite antennas now, VSAT terminals that, you can set up an auto point and I mean, everything is automated. In fact, I find myself because I can still remember the old days, you know, when a problem comes up, a lot of times people's first reaction is, oh, well, we need an automated system to do this. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, this is a one time thing. We could put 20 people on it and have it done in 30 days if we did it the old fashioned way rather than go spending a whole bunch of money on something, automation that's going to take us six months to get the kinks worked out and get it to where it's operational. And so, uh, yeah. So there's a time and place for more advanced capabilities like automation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, kind of connected to that, there just seems to be this natural urge for people to want to build a new system. And that's something I spend a lot of time with also, you know, don't build a new system. Look at the business processes associated with this. Look around at what we already have. There are systems that have these business processes already where you could add this functionality. In 2002, I went to a conference and Larry Ellison was there, the CEO of Oracle. I had a little spring butt question when it came time to ask questions. And I said, sir, how do you know where one enterprise ends and another begins? Right, because that's a problem we, we have a lot with, you know, should you build a, a system to encompass, you know, say, just army logistics or logistics and personnel? How do you know where one ends and one begins? And he said, where the business processes become more different than alike. 
And that really stuck with me. And he was right. And that knowing that, knowing when the business processes become more different than alike, that's an art form. And so uh, a very valuable lesson. Do you think there's anything unique about DHA as a healthcare provider, considering other agencies or other, maybe in the private sector? A few things. Uh, a lot of them have to do with security, obviously. So we are um, very careful about the data we share external to the DOD because of OPSEC, right? That kind of information, when you aggregate it together, can tell you things about the readiness of forces. And so we're very sensitive to that. There's a lot of things that we do that the commercial world doesn't do with respect to things like monitoring of, say, exposure to nuclear radiation and operations at sea, blast injuries, right? Exposure to things in combat that you wouldn't see in the normal world and investing in research that the commercial world would never invest in because there's not a market for it outside of the military, that kind of thing. Do you think being a veteran yourself has kind of informed a lot of the understanding of the whole overall military ecosystem or even service members' needs? Oh, absolutely. And having done it for so long and then, you know, being somebody who got hurt real bad also. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when the problems come up, I think people that don't have that kind of background, it's hard for them to understand what some of the issues are when you're in the operational space. It's just difficult. And then even on the business side, you know, the way that we run our business is very different than the commercial world. So, you know, if you get somebody with a deep, deep IT experience in the commercial world to come into the DOD, they're going to come in with great ideas, things that we haven't thought about, but they're going to have a steep learning curve with things like color of money and how we do cybersecurity with respect to security technical integration specs and risk management framework. I mean, it just, it's significantly different. Understandable. So taking into account the current pandemic, has it affected any of your ongoing initiatives or maybe uncovered new opportunities? It has. I'll start with this. I'm super fortunate. So, you know, you, you see on the news and on the radio, everybody's talking about, well, oh, the whole world is teleworking now and companies weren't ready and they didn't have the infrastructure in place. Ours wasn't bad. But I'll tell you, since the pandemic started, we've kind of doubled our capacity. And the reason we didn't have a problem is in the very early days of the pandemic, I got a phone call from Vice Admiral Norton, who is the commander of the Defense Information Security Agency and also dual-hatted as the commander of the Joint Task Force Doden, which they're the cyber folks that defend the DOD. And she basically was calling to tell me that with respect to IT, my agency was the number one priority in the Department of Defense next to hers. And so well, that always helps. <laughs> I basically got everything I asked for. And I went to the top of the line, to the front. Of, yeah. So, yeah, it helped a ton. And she absolutely uh, lived up to her word. And, and I got really taken care of well. And so one of the first things we did is, you know, with all these people using virtual private networks to connect from external to our network, what we found very early in the process is close to 65% of the destination points they were trying to get to were actually external to our military network. So if you think about that, I mean, they're external already. They've got to come in and go through all those firewalls and all the protections we have, only to turn around and go back out again, then to turn around and come back in again, and then to turn around and come back out again, right? So it's like four hops. And so I have a, the most brilliant man who supports me. His name is Tom Hines, and he is the 
authorizing official for the defense uh, health agency and kind of lead engineer of everything. And he said, well, you know, there's a concept called split tunneling, where if we could get this to help us, we could identify that traffic. And instead of having it come into the DOD network, we could just route it straight to the destination address and save all that bandwidth. And it worked. And it was like a 60% improvement in bandwidth almost instantaneously. Just brilliant. That, and we implemented something called the uh, cloud-based internet infrastructure. And so basically, instead of using the browser on your client, you go to this cloud-based browser, and you don't even know you're doing it. You actually click the icon on your desktop to open your browser. And what's really happening in, on the backside is it's being rendered in this cloud-based environment that as soon as you're done and you close your browser, it goes away. And so if there's anything malicious, it never actually gets to your machine. It kind of self-destructs in the cloud. And believe it or not, that was a great performance improvement. And so really super happy with the support I got from DISA and from my engineers and, and the great work they did with respect to telehealth. They stood up a capability that existed in Europe and Korea that allowed us to greatly expand our capacity. In fact, we're not really using all of it right now. We've got so much. And then um, the uh, executive branch, the president announced the relaxation of HIPAA, which allowed us to use some commercial technologies like Google Duo, Skype, and FaceTime, which helped somewhat Adobe Connect as well. I really was fortunate. <laughs> Taking into account, you know, the military life, do you think things like telemedicine is going to be a game changer moving forward? I mean, this pandemic kind of uncovered a lot of opportunities that telemedicine can provide. I assume that would be a great thing for the military overall to use, even more so than the private. Yeah, it is. And, and so it's actually a really difficult problem for us. I mean, especially when you're talking the, the tactical operational deployed spaces, because you're constrained by the wide area network capability you have for things. And so for what we call expeditionary missions, that's where, you know, you're going in and the area you're moving into is not secure. Right. And so you're, you're worried about things like radio signals that you emit and stuff like that. It's a real problem. But now after you're there and you're in a mature theater, then it opens up a lot of possibilities. So that's, that's a good thing. With respect to the peacetime garrison hospital things, yeah, it's helpful, just like it is in, in the commercial world. Our networks, I kind of think of this two ways. There's telework and there's right. telemedicine. Two beasts. Yeah, two pieces. So <laughs> for telemedicine, we're committed to setting up, and with MHS Genesis, they're doing this, a capability unique to design for healthcare that will be integrated with the health record system. I mean, if you think about it, the telemedicine capability is really just an extension of the record itself. It's, it's part of the workflow in the hospital and all the things that the EHR is going to do for us. For telework, that's a little bit different. So for telework, you know, our DOD network has been specifically designed to keep people out. And so for telework, if you VPN into our network, works great for other people authorized to be on our network. It's when you want to do business with non-DOD entities. That's kind of the long pole in the tent, is allowing the connections so that we can work with commercial industry seamlessly, right? 
And this is looking at that with our Department of Defense Chief Information Officer on ways to make that better, make that experience better. Under COVID, the DOD CIO stood up an implementation of Microsoft Teams, and they allowed some things to happen that they normally wouldn't have allowed. It's a temporary implementation. And, oh, it's, it's like ice cream. I mean, people just love it because you can do video chat and screen sharing with, you know, from your home computer and things like that. So we did that just for the COVID crisis and it'll go away September 30th. And they're working on something follow on that'll give hopefully as good an experience because boy, people really, really liked it. Yeah, it uncovered some opportunities that people otherwise wouldn't have experimented with. Right. You know, it's inherently connecting the networks like that. There's a lot of risk that comes with that. And so they're trying to balance risk with reward. And that's that's a tough thing to do. Well, considering, you know, as agencies are starting to strategize what the world will look like, especially the teleworking world would look like post the pandemic, where do you see your tech priorities heading? So our real strategic initiatives are well understood, I think, now by most people who do business with the DOD. So that's the electronic health record. It's uh, the Cerner Millennium System. And we've named it Military Health System Genesis. That's the name of the program. The product is Cerner Millennium. The Department of Veterans Affairs two years ago announced that they were going to adopt the same system. And in fact, it is the same system. And we are working hand in glove with them. They were supposed to go live at their first site in March, but the pandemic broke out. And so now you can't train people who are teleworking. So that'll get back on track here shortly, we hope. And so that's one big strategic thing. The second big strategic thing is the modernization of our network. So the Defense Health Agency um, is kind of in the process of being born. The transition of Army, Navy, and Air Force hospitals to the DHA is um, underway. And with respect to IT, we have it all already. With respect to management and administration, that's something coming along. And so there's a lot of IT consolidation happening, a lot of consolidation happening. And I have a contract that we were about to let, a very large one, that will provide all of the touch labor at all of the hospitals and treatment facilities across the Department of Defense. And so the draft PWS is out on the streets. It's going to be a a multi-system integrator concept where the first contract we let will be a contract that is an integrator that works for us and actually helps us. Um, with oversight of the follow-on contracts that will be the actual touch labor in the treatment facilities. So this overarching integrator contract will run our help desk. That's their feedback mechanism so that they can help us manage these other contracts, as well as the software that we're going to use to run that help desk. And so those are the really big strategic things. Then after that, it gets into things like the virtual health system that will go with the Genesis. And then we're planning... We're discussing things at the agency right now. One of the things we're discussing is radiology. So right now, you know, how we do radiology is either service-centric or treatment facility-centric, depending on which one it is. And uh, I think there's potential there for, um, you know, maybe doing something to single up how we operate. Same along the lines of mobile devices used in the hospitals for the providers to communicate. There are several companies in that space. And we've got a handful of tools that we use that I think it would be a lot better if we singled them up, provide a more seamless experience, especially with providers as they move around, you know, not not having to learn different things. So that's kind of the name of the game is 
consolidation and standardizing so that we can provide a consistent way of doing business for the providers and a consistent patient experience no matter where you go. Exciting stuff ahead. I mean, I'm always looking forward to following what's going on with the MTF transition. And it's good to hear that the electronic health record modernization is underway smoothly. And I'm looking forward to seeing what more is next. So thanks, Pat, for joining. This was a great conversation. Glad to have learned more about you. Thank you very much. Thanks again to our sponsors, Dell Technologies and CDW Government. We at Dell are proud of the work we have accomplished with CDW government and our government partners like the Defense Health Agency. We look forward to continuing to support the critical mission of these agencies, work with them on consolidation and standardization, and being a part of more conversations about the impacts of IT modernization within the federal government. And as Mr. Flanders stated, be part of the transformation to provide consistency. Consistency on how to do business for the providers and consistency on the patient experience for Defense Health Agency. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. Sponsor at